We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au. Coming up today on The Story. I was always embarrassed being a pastor's kid growing up just because I wasn't understood and having to live in the Philippines as uh, one of the only white kids in the community in the slums and also in the school. Yeah, just I was just so embarrassed of having anything to do with, with God and with and my family who were so enmeshed with it all. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Emily Duncan was raised in a missionary family that served in many places while she was growing up, including the Philippines. Her parents were dedicated to their ministry work and went wherever they felt the Lord was leading them. However, as we'll hear today, this was not to Emily's liking, and she began to rebel against everything her family stood for. This led her as far away from her Christian upbringing as she could go, but that's not how the story ends. Emily is having a chat with Shelley Scowen and sharing how she's now involved in helping transform people's lives. Emily, you wear quite a few hats. You're heavily involved at Transformations Ministries. I guess this is a spot that you would probably not have imagined yourself in um, the likes of five or ten years ago. No, definitely not. I think um, I've always wanted um, uh, responsibility, but then when it got too much for me, I wasn't uh, emotionally capable or uh, responsible enough, and so I always ran away from it. (laughs) And here you are heavily involved and doing some amazing things. We'll get to that soon. Your story, though, is just incredible, and you were transformed at Transformations Ministries. Take us back to... uh, how things, I guess, um, started going south for you. You lived in four different countries uh, before the age of 14 and you went to 17 different schools. That's got to be rough on a kid. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, it was good when I look back now, but at the time I felt, um, I felt disconnected, I guess, um, yeah. from my identity. I didn't know who I was. I was confused um, and... Uh, like by the time I was seven, I had five different accents I could just put on just like that, depending on who I was with in order to be able to communicate effectively. (laughs) Wow. So people can actually understand you. That's half the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But things went pretty south for you in that you started using drugs. How How did you get to that point? What was it that made you decide to start? Um. By the time I was I was thirteen, and my um, dad, who was a pastor in Melbourne at that particular time, said that we were going um, back to New Zealand, and we didn't really have a choice about it. And I said, "Oh, but you promised you promised that this, we wouldn't be leaving anywhere, and I'm happy here in Melbourne." And he said, um, he, "He said, well, we have to go. It's where you know God's calling me." And um, and I said, I hate you, I hate you. And I, I decided right then and there that I hated God and I hated my parents and uh, I was uh, going to do things my way from then on. So by the time we arrived in New Zealand and I was 14, about to start my um, my last school, I was, uh, I was in that much pain and that much anger that I just, I didn't care what destructive path I was on. In fact, I... I, I wanted it. I basically said, Satan, come into my life. I'm, I'm, I want nothing to do with God. 
anymore. And, wow. Um, yeah, and then I went just completely cut off my relationship with my family, stopped talking to them, uh, moved out of home when I was, by the time I was 16, by that time smoking pot pretty much every day and just living for the weekends when I could get drunk and I couldn't wait to leave school so that I could get a job and uh, support um, uh, basically my habits, my partying, and I wanted to get more and more and more into the drug scene. Um, I didn't care whether addiction followed. That w- I just wanted to escape kind of reality. Mm. So, well, yeah. so no real thought for the consequences of what you were doing. It was more so just the anger and, and I guess getting back at your parents. Yes. I just, I didn't, I was always embarrassed being a pastor's kid growing up. Yeah. Um, but just because I wasn't understood and um, having to live in the Philippines as as the, uh, one of the only white kids in the community in the slums and also in the school um, and trying to explain in another language uh, that my parents were Christian and that my dad was an itinerant speaker and pastor um, well, and uh, we lived in the slums <laughs> was an impossibility. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just I was just so embarrassed of, of having anything to do with, with God and with... Um, uh, and my family who were so enmeshed with it all. And I guess now with hindsight, you can see how much that must have hurt your parents. Oh, it would have been devastating because, I mean, they were just trying to follow the call yeah. and, um, you know, doing the best that they could do. And I think I was very, I was very moody as a child. I was almost bipolar with, um, I'd get really, really happy and excited and then I'd have these black mood days and uh, I needed... Um, I needed structure, I needed um, a lot of discipline, and I, we did get a lot of discipline, but it, it was hard in a third world country. Um, with, you know, my, my mum had three kids, and she was just trying to do the best that she could, and um, everyone was just trying to do the best that they could, but it was just a hard life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing uh, with a lot of parenting, I, I guess as a teenager, you don't realise how much your parents are just trying to do the right thing. They're just doing their best, the best that they know how. Yes, mm. yes. And then the kids and the child's perspective, it's, um, well, what about me? You know, the child is so selfish. Yeah. Um, not in a bad way, but that's just what how a kid is. And they can only see right or wrong or happy or sad or um, angry or joy and... Um, uh, they, the parents are the authority figure, and mm. every the kids lash out at that. Yeah. And so, as a child's perspective, God was taking my parents away from me, and God was more important than me. And um, I didn't have a choice in going to the schools that I went to or the countries that I ended up in. And God couldn't be trusted because I'd always be praying that we would stay somewhere or that I would be left behind somewhere or even that I was adopted (laughs) and my real parents would come and find me and God never answered any of my prayers and so therefore I thought that he couldn't be trusted and my parents definitely not. And so, yeah. Emily, yours really is a story of transformation where you're now obviously living free and victorious. But take us back to that time when you were doing lots of drugs. We're talking ice for 10 years, uh, ecstasy, acid, amongst other things. You were destroying your body. In fact, you even describe it as the poison trying to get out of your body, out of every orifice that it could. Yes. 
I was ingesting probably about five different drugs a day by the time I was uh, in my uh, early 20s and my boyfriends were um, uh, drug dealers and so I always had, you know, there was always more plenty of drugs around and um, I was ingesting that much that it was... Um, I was vomiting all the time. Even after one puff, I would vomit. Um, uh, I was bleeding. I was I was having all, I had all these infections in my nail beds, and it was like I couldn't handle the poisons in my body, and it was the, it was just coming out. Um, wow. Yeah, extremely painful process. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about ice specifically, because it's becoming a bit of an epidemic around Australia these days. Yeah, ice is um, it's, it's terrible problem at the moment. Um, you can you can Google the uh, ingredients and you can make it in the back of the car. Um, right, if so you it's really re- it's really accessible to people then. Extremely accessible. Yeah, um, you can get all the ingredients from um, you know, hardware stores, chemists, and supermarkets if you know where you're looking and mm. mix it all up and you know teenagers young kids are starting to make it unfortunately they're they're cutting the the drug with um uh, really potent chemicals that aren't always hygienic and so um uh, they're causing kind of adverse reactions where extreme paranoia is induced and um, extreme psychosis is induced after a shorter period of time. Like when I first um, started uh, smoking ice, it was I had about the two years where I would felt kind of invincible. I felt uh, I was I was handling it. I was capable. I was still working, and then I slowly began to derail, and I would have spurts of of paranoia and, and psychosis, and it obviously got a lot worse by the time I was smoking it every single day. But now I'm seeing people, I work in a drug and alcohol rehab, I'm seeing people that have only been using it for maybe less than a year and have got the effects that uh, straight away that I had after several years. Um, it's, wow. It's, it's very worrying. It's, um, it's, a, it's a terrible drug. <laughs> terrible. And, and as you say, young kids are experimenting with this, but in alarming numbers, the statistics are very worrying. Yes, um, it's just, it's normal. It's not, it's not only um, kids and drug addicts that are using, it's professionals. Um, it, it's just everywhere. It, it makes you feel like you're uh, Superman, Superwoman. You can, it makes you feel like you can be drunk and then have um, a smoke of ice and then instantly be sober. Um, it, wow. Yeah, it makes you feel uh, like you've got clarity. It's bizarre. It's, it uses this chemical in your brain that um, makes you feel that you are invincible and you can do anything, and you feel more intelligent. And it's like you can—you've got these great ideas, and you can function better, and you're and you're you're confident in how you speak and how you present. And then once all that chemical is used up, then begins the downhill spiral. Um, and you got you got depression. I was left with depression and anxiety. I couldn't even cope in social situations for at least a year after I'd stopped using ice. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and it goes on to have long term impacts as well. And I guess the full extent of that 
isn't really known because it's only really been this widespread in the last, you know, little while. But it's going to have long-term impacts, like you say, already mental health problems, and we're just going to see that continue to grow and grow, aren't we? Oh, correct. Like, there's not many um, uh, teenage rehabs out there, and it's getting to the stage now where we need a teenage rehabs mm. because the problems are starting younger and younger, um, and there are that many mental disorders that come through uh, all these different rehabs and people are on that many prescription drugs, that's an issue in itself. Yeah. Um, and coming off prescription drugs is, is, is exactly like coming off a drug now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it can be very, very difficult. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Emily Duncan about her life journey and about how she's now involved in helping people recover from drug addiction. We'll hear more of her story and more of her insights into the problem of drug addiction when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Emily Duncan about her life journey and about how she's now involved in helping people recover from drug addiction. Emily is also sharing some of her insights into the problem of drug addiction in general. Yes. How can we help people that are struggling with addictions to legal and illegal drugs? To be honest, I think it needs there needs to be a stronger awareness brought into the educational system. Um, the kids are now needing to be uh, taught the pros and cons of every single drug um, pro- at the beginning of high school, even before high school. And uh, we need people that have been addicts or have gone through uh, a lot of pain and come out the other side going into the schools and uh, trying to deter kids away from it um, by being right in their face. Uh, yeah. The government needs to start giving us more money, the, the re- rehabilitation facilities more money, like, for instance, Transformations. We're a not-for-profit organization. We have to fundraise all of our own uh, funds. And the amount of broken addicts that I see uh, that are homeless come through these doors, you know, every single day. Um, if we had more money, we'd be able to house and feed and teach these people a lot mm. more than what we're doing even now. Because you were one of those people. That was when you hit rock bottom. You were homeless, and that's when you discovered that you needed help. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't homeless. Um, oh, okay. But I did. I did have to leave my hometown, New Zealand, right. and um, uh, to get away from an abusive relationship and to get away from the hard drugs. And I came over to uh, Australia and stayed with an ex-boyfriend uh, and got my um, got my health back. That took uh, several months, and then finally got a job. Um, but I wasn't handling relationships, I wasn't handling life at all and was breaking down all the time, I was suicidal and then um, uh, left that relationship and came into rehab and I've never looked back. Mm. 
Yeah. yeah, you were, truly were transformed at transformations. Completely. I mean, in saying that, yeah, I had nothing when I came in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I just completely uh, um, uh, broke off from all friends, all relationships, and started my whole life from scratch. And the only people I kept in contact with were my, um, my immediate family. Mm. So, wow. yeah. That's huge. And describe the change in you over that time at Transformations. I felt as soon as I walked through the doors and I said, I said that my life had become unmanageable and I admitted that and I admitted that I needed to do it uh, in, uh, not in my strength anymore and that I wanted, um, I needed God's help. As soon as I said that, I felt relief. Really? <laughs> and I felt free. Um, it was... Uh, it was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done, obviously having to confront all of the dysfunction and um, and find healthy ways to deal with it and be vulnerable and wear your issues and your heart and your sleeve and confronting groups and um, and just living. I lived in a house with you know nine other women and all of our dysfunctional behaviors rubbed off on each other and, mm. and that's how we learned. And that was extremely hard. However, I... I've never looked back. I've felt uh, growing peace, growing freedom, and I've learned to find the joy in the midst of a struggle. Uh, so to not run away from the struggle or to, uh, to not uh, use my dysfunctional coping mechanisms in the struggle, but to, to find God in it, then to find myself in it, and then to find the peace and the joy that comes with it. Because at the end of the struggle, there's, there's growth. And so now I look at any struggle as a, as a, ch- as a challenge and um, there's a solution. <laughs> yeah. So you're obviously pretty passionate about the place, Emily. Extremely passionate. I think yeah. it's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've seen the changes made in yourself and many other people that have come through. What a great story about how, you know, you yourself have been changed and now you're giving back and, and um, yeah, really seeing the change in hundreds of people that must come through. Yes, yeah. I mean, at, the, at, the, at an addict's core is selfishness. And so it, in order to fight that, you must be constantly giving, I believe. Yeah. And so if someone d- dedicates their life to giving and loving other people around them and not just keeping what they've been taught to themselves, but to then teach other people what they've been taught, it's, it's a recipe for a miracle. It's a recipe for love. And uh, I believe that someone can stay on, on the track in recovery and remain clean and go on to uh, continue to become a better and better person uh, to themselves and to those around themselves and have a, an awesome family life and, and, and great relationships if they're able to grab that concept. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm very passionate about people remaining uh, with, with this ministry and learning as much as they can before they, before they go out. Yeah, absolutely. So you're based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, but I believe there's a few other campuses around Australia? Yes, so we've got, um, we've got a couple in Victoria and I think three here in Queensland. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just thinking there's probably people listening now that know someone that, uh, that you know, they're trying to, they'd be very keen to get into this kind of course. Um, how do people go about applying to get into Transformations Ministries? Yeah, so we have our website and uh, all of our campuses are on that website and you can read the testimonies of people that have even come through the program. 
uh, if you www.transformation.net.au. Otherwise, uh, you can call 07-5592-3677, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and uh, do an initial assessment over the phone and get the ball rolling. All right, so it's very easy. And, yeah, as you say, there's some great material there on the website, transformation.net.au. And your story is one of those real stories featured on there as well. Emily, a great story, um, and I guess all, all the praise goes to God for the way that he has made that change in your life. I mean, it's one thing to go through a course, but really it's not the course that made the difference. It was God making the difference through, you know, Transformations Ministries. Oh, completely. I mean, for, for someone that ha- I hated God for about 20 years yeah. and was uh, wanted didn't want a bar of him uh, because of my, my, my upbringing, my perspective, um, to now being completely sold out for uh, God and the ministry and, and helping other people find freedom through with God and wanting to dedicate my whole life to the mission field is just, that's a miracle. Yep. <laughs> Only God can change someone's heart like that. <laughs> yeah, that's no, an awesome story. Again, transformation.net.au. Emily, thanks so much for spending some time with us this morning. No worries. Thank you very much for listening. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Emily Duncan about her life journey and about how she became involved in the Transformations Drug Rehabilitation Program located on the Gold Coast. To find out more about the Transformations Ministry, the website is transformation.net.au. That's transformation.net.au. And the good news is that Emily is just one of several success stories of people being helped by the Transformations Ministry. And it is appropriate name for the ministry because they are seeing many people's lives transformed. As it says in the Bible, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Emily's Story and Insights. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I can still clearly remember her turning to me and she was pregnant, expecting her young daughter and she said, ah, now I'm getting too big, bye, it's your turn to take over the class. (laughs) And I thought, me, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) And that was my first sort of introduction to teaching children about God. Violet Langan is a Fiji-born Australian and has worked in many places in many roles over the years. But the main pull of her heart has always been to work with children. We'll find out her story and how she's been a blessing to others next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.